A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I'm Brian, and we're back with another episode of Stream Close Up. Coming to you from I Like Radio's studio number three. Our guest today is the great Gary Lewis. Gary is joining us to talk about his latest project, Rig 45, which is premiering right now on Via Play. But as always, we'll try to learn a little bit more about the man while we have him up here in the studio. By way of background, Gary is a Scotsman who came late to the acting game. But as you'll find out, when he arrived, he was not messing around. Gary was working in TV and smaller films when he got his big break back in 1999. That's when he was cast as the father, or dad, in the award-winning and much-beloved Billy Elliot. Yeah, he quickly followed up on that success with a key part in Martin Scorsese's Gangs of New York, starring as McGloin opposite Daniel Day-Lewis. Outlander fans will recognize him from his recurring role as the bow-legged Colin McKenzie. And among other films, he's appeared in one of my personal favorites, the Irvin Welsh-penned Filth, as well as Nicholas Winding Refn's Valhalla Rising. His TV credits are just too long to list, but if you take a moment to check out Gary's IMDb page, I'm sure you'll come away impressed. We'll get into his collaboration with directors Peter Mullen and Robert Carlyle, We'll learn how a teacher was instrumental in introducing Gary to classic film and theater at a young age, planting the seed that would lead to his amazing career. We'll get into the importance and influence of the early films of director Ken Loach and how Gary ended up working with him later on. We'll talk to Gary about all this and try to learn how a Scottish garbage man from a working-class estate emerged in later life as an in-demand Hollywood actor. Before we get into all that, I'd like to remind you to follow us on Twitter, at StreamCloseUp. From time to time, we'll be posting clips there to illustrate some of the things that we discuss on the show. And you can always reach us via Gmail. We're StreamCloseUp at gmail.com. So that's StreamCloseUp at gmail.com and StreamCloseUp on Twitter. That's how you can reach out and follow along with what's going on here between episodes. All right, enough of that. Let's do it. In for his stream close up. Gary Lewis. Hit it, Jose. And we are in business. Welcome to the studio, Gary Lewis. Hey. Thank you, Brian. Thank you. Lovely so, to be here. So thankful to have you taking the time to join us. Uh, Gary might be perhaps the most successful actor we've had here. I was comparing your IMDb page to Peter Stormeray, who is a recent guest. And yeah, it, it lines up pretty nicely. I'm quite impressed. Well, I don't know how you measure success. There's lots of measurements, but um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I would say I would measure your success very differently than other performers. Uh, first of all, I should say that uh, Gary is up here to talk about Rig 45. Uh, his latest project, which will be premiering on Via Play in June. It's a criminal drama set on an oil rig. Interesting, very interesting stuff. And I've been lucky enough to see the first two episodes. And uh, we'll get to Rig 45 and his role, Douglas. But before we get there, as we like to do, we want to hear a little bit about Gary's story. And for me, one of the most interesting things about your background is that you came late to acting. You know, you didn't decide at 15 that I'm going to act and make it your choice. How did, how did this all unfold? And when, where were you in your life? Yeah, well, at 15, basically at 15, I didn't know, I didn't know where the door was to get in. So 
In the absence of any knowledge about where the door was, it wasn't really a big, a big idea for me. Oh, but it was, it was still a thought, though, even then. Yeah, it was a okay. thought because um, the seeds had been planted by uh, an English teacher at uh, my secondary school, a guy called Murray Learmont, and he established a secondary uh, a film club in the in the school, a film society, and um, the school was in the east end of Glasgow, in a huge. Uh, basically a huge working class housing estate and this uh, film society in the school was a yeah it was it was quite a revolution for me and uh, Murray Learmont showed us a lot of the early British social realist films Saturday night Sunday morning uh, the loneliness of the long distance runner and oh, he also, yeah. yeah and he showed us a uh, kiss kiss was uh, well kiss exploded for me the one of the early Ken Loach films so when I saw this uh, representation of a young guy in uh, Yorkshire, it was uh, yeah, it was the first time I'd seen such an in-depth uh, study of a, not study, just seen this picture of a young guy's life, a young working class kid. And uh, it was a great it was a great honor for me later in life to be working with the man who made that film, the legendary English director Ken Loach. But um, so I suppose that planted a seed of um, thought that maybe I could do that. You know, I could do that. But did, like you say, it was a long time before I did it. Did it awaken any political thoughts to see these kind of films? Yeah, it did because um, seeing casts and uh, films from that era. Uh, made me realise that there was a huge absence in in most representations, most films, as in most uh, books of the time. There were no serious characters, working class characters. They featured in the background or didn't feature at all. So these films were quite revolutionary in that they they went to places that other films didn't touch. Okay, so you, so you have a little influence uh, when you're studying... But you don't you don't jump in right away and say, okay, that's when I leave school, I'm going to chase acting. You do something else. Oh, geez, yeah. I mean, when when I left school, I had absolutely no idea. Okay, yes. What, where where do you go? Where is acting? Oh, <laughs> man, I mean, what what I did do was I went to the theatre regularly, so I maintained contact with it. I wasn't doing it, but uh, I was connected with the theatre. But the fact the same guy took us to the Citizens Theatre and. Glasgow and to Dundee to see the Arthur Miller play Death of a Salesman okay. which was um, again that made a huge impact on me so I was doing other kind of work but I was I was going to the to the theatre like <laughs> and I would I would go to the Glasgow Film Theatre where to, to see films like The Seven Samurai or Jean-Luc Godard that's how I lost my the love of my life my first girlfriend um, because she, she wanted to go and see she The Exorcist a, and Jaws and yeah she, a uh, widow to the classics yeah 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 she, that was a Jean-Luc Godard too far so um, <laughs> yeah so there were there were these avenues to explore art in Glasgow. And uh, so you're so you're you're getting the influences. You're yeah. you're doing the study. You know whether it's it's focused or not. I mean that's that is your ten thousand hours of film study. If you're doing that's it, Brian. Yeah. So, so yeah. when does it translate to an action that leads to you actually getting a role or getting into a production? I don't even know. Did you start doing something behind the camera or? Hell no, no. I'd never seen a camera until um, I started doing short films which was in conjunction with when I, basically when I quit the day job, I was mostly doing theatre for years. But there was a kind of a small explosion of short filmmaking in Scotland at the okay, time. Okay, hang on, slow down. So you're, you're starting, you're doing theatre roles. Yeah. How do you go into your first theatre roles? Are you knocking on the door? Are you, do you get connected? No, I mean, I mean the very first was a community drama. Mm -hmm. Basically, uh, what people would normally call amateur dramatics. Mm -hmm. I suppose it was. Nobody was trained. But um, it was a play. It, it was a play written by a local man called Freddie Anderson about the life of a, a Glasgow school teacher, a socialist who was very much to the fore in the anti-war movement, the First World War. A, a, a historical character or a fiction? A, a historical character, John McLean, and the um, the name of the play, Krasovy, is a Russian word, and, and it uh, took its name from a poem by Hugh McDermott about John McLean and uh, I was working in the I'd, when I left school I was a street sweeper I didn't know I didn't, 
really want to be a street sweeper, but I had to make some money. And um, then with winter approaching, I, I got a job in the library. And that's where I met uh, a guy who introduced me to this uh, local drama group. And I played I played the historical figure. Um, that's the Rain Dog Theatre? No, this no. was this was just a, this was called Easter House okay. Festival Society. Okay. Rain Dog came later. Basically, this play won a Fringe First at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, but that didn't lead me to go into acting. I then went and studied I studied history, and um, it was years later uh, um, when I encountered um, Caroline Patterson and Robert Carlyle from Rain Dog, and I started. Uh, doing plays with Rain Dog Theatre Company and then I had to quit the day job and take it seriously. So that was like, okay, now I'm making the real move. I'm going to become an actor. I'm all uh, in. Yeah, that was it. I mean, the the dilemma was when you were working with Rain Dog was so exciting. There was lots of improvisation. Um, basically, but once we took a Mike Lee script and uh, I mean, Robert Carlyle, I'm, I'm actually surprised he didn't direct more films. He was a wonderful theatre director. And the idea was, okay, we're going to add six new characters to this oh, wow. play. Uh, so find a way to get yourself in there. It was, I used to walk home from rehearsals with my head completely buzzing. and uh, But it was exciting. Yeah, how much fun that must be. It was great fun. It was terrifying on stage. Sometimes you were just improvising all the time yeah. at night. and um, But it was, it was uh, you learned a lot, you know. And for people who might not know Robert Carlyle, he's train spotting... The Full Monty, yeah. Angela's Ashes, among yeah. others. So it must Great be, actor. Yeah. yeah, it must be a nice fertile learning ground. For well, you. Uh, absolutely, Brian. Yeah, it was a very fertile learning ground. And uh, then I started doing short films with um, like of Peter Mullen and uh, lots of lots of young directors in Scotland and beyond. And that was my universities, you know. Your 10,000 hours, as yeah, we say. Yeah, that was it. I got the flying hours doing these and, short films. And not to be impolite, because you look like a fine young man, but how old were you at this point? Wow, I was, uh, well, I quit the day job when I was about 33. 33, okay, so coming later than most. Oh, uh, hell yeah. People come, people come flying out of the womb knowing that they want to perform sometimes. Oh, some people were quitting by the time I was starting. Oof. Yeah, Oof. seriously. I mean, I did a production with um, 784. We did a tour. It was um, We took Steppenwolf's version of um, uh, The Grapes of Wrath, the John Steinbeck mm -hmm. book. And uh, but there were 16 of a cast. And from that 16, wow, there's maybe only, I don't know, two or three still acting. Yeah. Uh, tough level of competition in that field, that's for sure. On the other hand, there are more and more opportunities for actors than ever, I think. I mean, given all the streaming services that are producing content as well as the traditional TV, as well as the theater, I mean, it must be a great time to be a performer. Yeah, there are, I guess there are more opportunities. It, it kind of depends what you want to do, though, you know. You don't want to do everything which presents itself to you. It's a lovely uh, place to be, to be able to choose. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not, mm, let me see, it's, uh, you're not, I mean, for example, it, it would be a false assumption to think that we're all just sitting there with hundreds of scripts and uh, picking and choosing. I'm not, you know, I just hope and pray that interesting work com keeps coming along. Well, interesting work has certainly pa crossed your path. Uh, one of the early things is that uh, independent that you did uh, with Kenlock directing, working with uh, Peter Mullen, My Name is Joe, Yeah, where Peter played the lead, uh, and that thing won awards right and left as an indie production. Yeah, Did that echo enough for people to start calling you to find you for work? Um, yeah, that, that obviously helped. Um, I did a film the same year, called Orphans, which was directed by Peter Mullen, which was kind of a, it wasn't quite social realism, um, but both those films helped, uh, My Name is Joanne Orphans helped me get, get seen and uh, maybe opened a few doors, yeah. Do you feel that that was an important step looking back, sort of, as you, in, in building your career? Oh, definitely, yeah, yeah most definitely. Um, the uh, In fact, later, much later, uh, after we finished working on Billy Elliot, Stephen Daldry told me that he'd um, he'd watched me in Orphans and uh, and 
Yeah, that's that's what waiting until after they don't say, "Hey, we saw you in Orphans, <laughs> we want you in Billy Elliot." They wait till it's done and say, "Okay, well, it's because we saw you." In oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They make you, they make you <laughs> jump through hoops beforehand. Uh. Uh, I mean, we might as well get into it since you bring it up. Billy Elliot, uh, you play the father on Billy Elliot. What's the character's name again? Jackie. Jackie, who's going through a lot, and then his son is also taking him into a whole new world. Yeah, that must have been an amazing. Uh, phenomenon for you i mean you do a film you put in the work you never know what's going to happen when it's released mm -hmm. and that thing echoed around the globe and it's still echoing i mean that the, yeah. they're performing it on stage yeah uh what was that like coming out of that that must have meant recognition for you when billy elliott was done yeah absolutely the strange thing was i, I kind of I missed it because um i was already working on gangs of new york which hang on name dropper yeah no yeah martin scorsese <laughs> told me never name drop but uh, i forgot and uh he but that was supposed to be a three-month shoot <laughs> and it went to seven seven yeah. months shoot. just looking at the sets i could have told you there's no three months in yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> seven months in rome so um belly elliott was premiering all over the world while i was in uh well, I was sitting having a pizza by the Trevi Fair. Were you out doing the promotion for Billy Elliot at least? No, I mean, no, I couldn't because I was kind of locked into Oh, wow. Things. Yeah. So that that might have been sort of not a missed opportunity, but a missed chance for that exposure to be on the couch on the late night shows and around the world and oh, doing yeah. all that stuff. Yeah, I suppose so. But at least I was working. <laughs> this is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. <laughs> with on oh, no, a good thing Let, let's move on to that good thing gangs of new york you play sort of a, a, ne a nemesis i would say one of the you know one of the one of the catalysts in the story that's causing trouble in the among the gangs yeah what was it like working first for martin scorsese i mean that must be mind-blowing just when you realize you're going to be working on a project with scorsese it must be a dream come true yeah. Or, 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 or are you not a fan of his work? Maybe, you know, maybe oh, you don't no. care about him. No, huge fan I, I'm of I'm from New York, work. so I have the connection there. <laughs> no, no, no. I was a huge fan of, of Martin Scorsese. And um, the whole process of getting cast was kind of a strange. It was quite strung out. I met his casting director, Ellen Lewis, and, uh, in Glasgow. And uh, she, she um, recorded some scenes. Excuse me. And um, yeah, then I would get these phone calls 
I don't know how the hell they got my number. Just and they would just say, "Marty really likes you. Marty really likes you." You know, and and I'd be like doing things like hanging out the washing and stuff, and saying, "Let's see, well, have I got the have I got the role? You know, what what does this mean? You know, <laughs> so I get kind of tired of it. You know, so I just kind of shelved it. And then I was asked to go and meet uh, Martin Scorsese in Rome, and a very curious thing happened when I was studying. For my final dissertation, uh, I did a dissertation on the American labour movement and how it was different from the European labour movements. Like, like they didn't, they didn't create a, a party of labour, no. like uh, the Social Democratic Party in Germany or the Labour Party in the UK or something. So, um, I went into a lot of detail about uh, the early trade unions in the in the states, and when I was going, it was in Cinecitta in Rome. And uh, people kept saying, oh, you're going to go and meet Marty. You're going to... And I say, yeah, that's why I'm here. And then you'd be taken into another room and say, oh, you're going to meet Marty. I went, yep, yep. And I said, Jesus, it must be easier to meet the Pope. You know, this is really getting grindingly wearisome. And, uh, and then eventually I go into the room and Martin Scorsese was so welcoming and down to earth. And lo and behold, you know, I asked a question about guns in these kind of fights and he said uh, you know the way guns are portrayed in movies you know it's he said it's completely false like gun fights would go on for hours and hours because they didn't have endless supply of ammunition you know so it wasn't like bang 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 and then um, and I asked about you know talked about early strikes and where the bosses would employ um, the armed gangs the scabs yeah yeah to ask armed scabs yeah to break the, the strikes and shoot at the, the strikers and uh, and he knew lots about this, so we ended up talking about um, this Amer early American labor history and gunfights. And I mean, wow! So it was uh, it was uh, we were, I was actually interested, and in, like like most people know, Martin Scorsese has uh, an encyclopedic knowledge of cinema. But it was uh, it was wonderful to know that he had. Um, such a deep uh, knowledge of history as well. And we just sat there, well, it's, a, it's a Scottish expression called chewing the fat. We just sat there chewing the fat and um, it was great, you know. And obviously he found some comfort level with you. Well, yeah, as we, I mean, during the shoot, I was delighted to uh, realise that he was, he was very open to suggestions. He would actually um, consider anything which you, you presented him with. I mean, it had to be good. It had to be thought out, you know. I mean, I, I told him, like, because my character was a, a Catholic, but he had switched sides after uh, the priest, the leader of the dead rabbits, had been killed. Um, there's a scene where we are stoning, throwing fruit and stones at the, the poor Irish, starving Irish coming off the ships. And uh, I said, I, I don't think I would be doing that, you know. I, I, as much as I am a turncoat, I don't think I would stone my own people. And he said, what, what are you going to do? I said, you know, there's, um, I've discovered this song in the, there was a book we got access to called uh, The Rogue's Lexicon, which was New York um, street language. It was just fantastic. So I absorbed this stuff and threw a lot of the lines into the script. They're, they're in the film. Stifle that rat bastard now, you know. I would just adapt these things from the, this book. And the, uh, and, and Martin Scorsese would, he would allow you to do that. But he says, so what, what, you mean you're going to sit and sing a song? I said, no, I'm going to play it in a harmonica. Uh, and, he said, <laughs> and he said, and where's McGloin going to get a harmonica in uh, 1860 New York? And I hadn't gone that far with my thoughts. And he says, tell me tomorrow. So I had to, I phoned somebody, a friend in Glasgow, and asked for the whole history of harmonicas and it was a German company, Honer, and yeah. how could it have got to New York? How could have McLoyne have got access to a harmonica from a German sailor or something? And I justified the whole thing, and the next day he said, OK, get, get McLoyne a harmonica, the oldest one we can find. And um, So that's in the scene. It's a small thing. I'm just sitting there playing this tune on a sack, but I'm not stoning my people, which was important for my character. Uh it's a it's just a small indication of how dynamic and thoughtful. I mean, I was incredulous at the how much he would carry during the shooting of a scene. He would um there's a scene where uh Daniel D. Lewis, Bill the Butcher, is walking towards 
monk, Brendan Gleeson's character. And when, um, when Martin Scorsese is setting it up with uh, Michael Bauhaus, the cinematographer, he's telling him when the speed changes in the camera, the positions, and then he's telling him when the music kicks in and when the music changes on the reverse shot and, and the different speed at this position. And I'm thinking, <laughs> this he's carrying everything, everything piece of sound and vision of this scene in his head right now you know as we're shooting it he would change things depending on the light in Rome you know and uh, it was it was quite something to to work with him and to work with uh, Daniel Day-Lewis um, I was I was going to ask about Daniel Day-Lewis but now everyone can get a master class with Martin Scorsese online I mean, it's <laughs> no. phenomenal the way things are, are moving in this world yeah yeah can I ask this moment now that you've injected into the film you know that he's not going to throw the stones he's going to play the song how rewarding is it when you see that on screen when you know when you go to see the film do you watch yourself do you even see have you seen it uh, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I've, I've watched good. that film a few times yeah, yeah. good for you how, how rewarding is that when that's comes up how does that make you feel yeah well initially the big reward was when he entered into dialogue about it and just entertained the idea he accepted that you had something to offer because I mean a lot of the time that's your role you know you're you, you want to just you want to offer more than is on the page you know somebody told me what was the phrase I heard last year beat the script I beat the script or something like that so you I mean some of the things may be inappropriate and um, the director sees things uh, with a different eye from the actors, of course. Uh, you're, you're calling from where you're calling from, but they're seeing the whole thing in, in, uh, on the monitor and they've got a different vision maybe. But if you can connect and engage with that and offer something more, well, well, well that was the reward when you listened and then he took it further and asked to justify it. But then you're absolutely right when you see it, you go, wow, that's uh, that's just a small thing. But, you know, there are lots of small details in that film which many people will never know the, the extent, um, the, the, the work that went into creating it. You know, there's a part of the, um, there's an early photograph of that area, the five points in New York, and it's, uh, um, it's just kids, you know, poor kids and, men looking out of windows and standing in a little alley and uh, there's a sequence in the film where Scorsese recreates this instance he recreates this photograph as part of a moving sequence and if you I mean if you don't know you don't recognize it but it's there and it's like uh, I'm kind of a, I don't see it as pointless because it's it's kind of it's more than just an homage to a reference point but he is acknowledging an actual photograph, like these people are long gone, but that's who was living in the Five Points. It's their story. It's and their it's, story. And it's sort of an anchor point as well to be able to recreate that realistic moment. If you can weave enough of those and you know you're back in that place. Yeah, it's a connection. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And it's, uh, wow, I just think that's a big deal, you know. It's a very small thing, but it's, it's, it's an anchor point which is, um, is real, you know. I got a f so many different ways we can go here. I definitely want to ask a couple of Daniel Day-Lewis questions, but it seems like you're very interested in the process. Will we ever see you writing or directing or, or creating your own work? Wow, Jesus. I don't know. It's, it's so, I mean, from what I've seen, it is so, so difficult to... Um, you, don't to, have to do it, you don't have to do it alone. <laughs> <laughs> to get a film made. Um, yeah, I've got stories and um, there are things, some small things I've written, but... Um, it doesn't have to be film, could be theatre, TV. I yeah, mean, yeah, well, maybe. maybe I just I just see yeah. that as a movement more and more that, you know, actors don't always just wait for work, they also create work at yeah, this time. It's yeah. kind of an interesting phenomenon. I just, yeah. wonder, I just wonder, I mean, the way you talk about the process with Scorsese, it feels like you're there. Yeah, yeah, there are things I would like to do. I suppose... Um, Maybe I just became a bit too busy, you know, and uh, so I find it hard to focus on something when you're engaged in something else. Yeah, fair enough. I'm not, I'm not putting a requirements yeah, yeah. on you here. No, no, I just want to ask. Okay, back to Gangs of New York and Daniel Day-Lewis. Now, he's renowned 
as a, what is he now, a retired actor, apparently, apparently if we're so, supposed yeah. to believe. Uh, but he's renowned for his method and for staying in character, for yeah. being, you know, Abraham Lincoln for a month on the set of Lincoln. Was that the same experience in Gangs of New York? Absolutely, yeah. And what, yeah. what was that like for you as an actor? I mean, did you have to sort of meet him halfway in character while you're on the crafts line for food, or how does that work? No, not halfway, <laughs> all the way. All the way, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, okay, first off, I just think he's the best, you know. Uh, he's, uh, yeah, he's just... Whatever uh, he's doing is working for him. Yeah, whatever he's doing. I mean, people would... Um, I've heard people, I've seen crazy stuff written about them as if it's he's crazily eccentric, making shoes and stuff, you know. But I think um, what he does in his work... Uh, uh, his life, you know, it's there. You you can't. Um, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. It's there on the screen. You're you're watching. Uh, you're watching a, a, a truly great actor. And uh, in answer to your question, yeah, it's, he's he's um, he's Bill the Butcher all the time. That must have been a little frightening. <laughs> well, yeah, you said. I mean, once um, I, I, my kid, that he was only five at the time, and uh, I would not introduce him. <laughs> To, to Bill. You call him Bill, obviously. You don't call him Dan during the shoot. And um, I don't think that's a stupid thing. It's completely understandable. But there was such an aura of menace and violence that um, you wouldn't let your kids anywhere near this guy. That's impressive, I would say. Yeah. I mean, I, I have complete respect for whatever whatever it takes to get to that performance. I respect that, no me question too. about it. Yeah, me too. And does that influence you at all in how you perform, how you approach things afterwards? Does it change anything about your approach as an actor to be exposed to that? Well, from yeah, to be exposed, uh, yeah. For me, it was a, it was a lesson about focus and uh, commitment. Um about really uh, being prepared when you turn up for your, your work. Um, and, uh, yeah, being pro really being professional. I mean, he is super professional. Um, and it's like uh, he is incredibly generous, you know. he If the camera is not on him or if the camera was on a mountain on the back of his head, you know, like... It wouldn't matter where the camera was. He's, he's he still gives a hundred percent, and so that's a that's a big lesson for an actor to see. You think he is one of the greats, and he's generous to a fault. He's totally focused, and uh, he's just on the case all the time, and. Yeah, so I'm very glad to have worked with him. Yeah, it sounds like quite the experience. Sounds like someone you would want to at least get a chance to work with once. Oh, yeah, yeah. Congratulations, by the way. That's quite the film, <laughs> really is. Uh, I think it's I a think wonderful film. Great job all around. Not just yourself, but everybody. Yeah, oh, I mean, Jim Broadbent. Really and Brendan iconic. Gleeson, that's, uh, so, so we talked about Billy Elliot and Gangs of New York, two huge films. If you'd indulge me for a minute, you were in an Irvin Welsh penned film, Filth. Filth, and this yeah. is very Scottish to me. You're, you're a proud son of Scotland. Irvin Welsh, also a proud son of Scotland, the author of Train Spotting and a couple of other things. Yeah. Uh, that was with John Baer as the director. Yeah. John he Baer. also has a Scorsese connection, right? He did the vinyl for HBO. The, that was Scorsese and Mick Jagger were the producers on that. I did not yeah, know that. <laughs> so just, maybe you led the way. Maybe you inspired <laughs> him there. But what, what was the experience like on Filth? And was it something specifically Scottish about it or not for you as a performer? Filth, well, specifically Scottish. Um, well, the main thing is it's Irvin Welsh. Yeah. Irvin Welsh is a great writer. Yes. Uh, he, the stuff in Filth, the book and the film, which I just love, it's... Um, <sighs> <laughs> ah, jeez, I don't know where to start. Yeah, I know. If you have, if you're not familiar with it, it's going to be hard to get your head around it. Yeah. Go find the book or the film. Yeah, I'd advise you to treat yourself to both. Really, yeah. um, it's terrific that Welsh is such a great writer. He shows the, um, like the backstory for the for the cop is is great. You know what happened to him. You know that line in the film where. Um, the fellow cop says to him, he's talking about the corrupt, the corruption in the police. 
And the fellow cop says, so you wanted to get inside and change it? He says, no, I wanted to be a part of it. You know? Yes. And... He's so beautifully venial. There's humor. I love that. Yeah. But he's a disaster, you know? And it's... And it's not... Oh, God. Well, I love the writing and I love the film. And James McAvoy's portrayal is is terrific. It's a a really wonderful portrayal. Um, But as a Scotch actor, is it it particularly... You know, fulfilling to get called for the, to join in on that kind of a production. Do you feel the pride of, you know, a national yeah. pride? Yeah, oh, I mean, it's a great cast. I was also reunited with Jamie Bell. That was the first time I'd seen Jamie from uh, Billy Elliot. We hadn't seen each other for 15 years or something. So with Jamie playing one of the cops, that was special as well. And a lot of really good um, Scottish actors in it. And Kate Dickey's in it. And, yeah, I mean, she's phenomenal. Uh, it's, it's just, yeah, it's great writing, great film, great cast. It's just phenomenal. I recommend it highly. I'm a big Irvin Welsh fan. Check it all out. If you've seen Train Spotting, maybe you have some idea of the kind of things that could happen, although it's very different, but very much worth watching. So we've talked about a few of your films, bigger, biggest, and smaller. Yeah. You've done also a bunch of TV. I would say that here in Scandinavia, people might recognize you from Outlander, where you did Colin McKenzie. That's quite the big hit here in Scandinavia. I just realized that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. How did you, why? People are fine. You're doing the tour here. uh, Gary's here today doing promotion for Rig 45. He's out talking to media all around. And so, what, people are recognizing you for this? Yeah, a couple of people told me they were big Outlander fans. And, um, because uh, Outlander initially was not broadcast in Scotland, uh, which which was kind of strange, obviously, ended up going out on Amazon Prime. But um, so a lot, it kind of exploded all over the place, but it wasn't really big in Scotland. So um, I didn't know where it was popular, where it was where it was being transmitted. So sometimes it's a surprise. Interesting, not, not knowing where your work is echoing. That's yeah. kind of weird. But that brings me to another question. I mean, the importance of like the emergence of streaming services that now Outlander has a life after the fact that people can find. Uh, yeah. You know, people can go find Gangs of New York or Filth today if they want to just dial it up. Uh, you're doing a production for Via Play, which is a streaming service commissioning uh, this rig forty five. Yeah. How does that does that does that echo with you as an actor? Does it does it mean anything, or is it the work is done? It doesn't matter. No, I think. Um, does it mean anything? Well, sorry, it, sorry for the easy question. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a that's a complex one. Um, I mean, the work is out there. It's it's kind of a strange. It's strange that people can access stuff so readily, and. Uh, it's it's uh, yeah, it's a hard one to get your head around. I mean, that someone might find something you've done twenty years later. Exactly. And, and, and yeah, I mean, somebody somebody recognised me from uh, somebody from Brazil for a short film I'd done years ago, you know, and uh, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> they were like, "You were," and I mean, Jesus! Apparently, it was shown in the Brazilian public service channel endlessly, you know. So you never really know where people are coming from how they know you or your work. Or... Hopefully there's a residual check somewhere in the mail that, that says this, that it was playing <laughs> no, all over the place. And no, <laughs> don't get residuals for them. These, all these jobs you, you do for nothing, you know, all these short films are yeah. mostly free to right. help film students. And you work with Scorsese for the experience. <laughs> no, that one was for Doe. Good, good for you. Uh, let, let's move on to Rig 45 while you're here. Uh, you're playing the lead, Douglas, or the co-lead, I would guess. Oh, yeah, it's an ensemble piece. Ensemble, uh, truly an ensemble yeah. piece and a very interesting, like, cultural and uh, international mix of performers. On, yeah, on when I walked in, it was interesting going into the makeup room and they had the... Um, Oh, the cast up with the flags of where they were from. And it was quite something to see the Finnish, Norwegian, Danish, Swedish, Irish, Scottish. Did I miss anybody yet? I think that's the whole lot. Um, yeah, what a cast, what a what an ensemble. And uh, for those of you who don't know, Rig 45 is a criminal drama set on an oil rig. A very interesting premise. And yeah. The rig is almost a character filmed so lovingly by your director, all those exterior shots. Uh, but it's not straightforward. As I said, I've been lucky enough to see the first two episodes now here pre-launch, 
And I still don't know what's going to happen, but I'm very much leaning in because every character that emerges brings another layer of drama to the story. And your character has multiple layers of drama. I think you're absolutely right, and you put it very well. Okay. Every character brings multiple layers to it. So what's so good about this for me is that it's more than just something happened, then something else happened. Um, the characters are very interesting. Uh, they don't just all have a story right there and right then. They have a backstory, and um, the elements of these backstories are, are playing out. There's there's so much. Like you, you've seen the first two episodes, yeah. like me, and uh, it gets deeper and darker. And uh, Ooh. yeah, yeah, it's. Um, I like that it's not straightforward. Like I have your character pegged as a bad guy. And then suddenly in episode two, he's doing, he's taking action, which actually seems from his heart to protect a coworker. So it's nice that it's not a, it's not sort of black and white at all. You know, the yeah. fog is rolling in. There's shades of gray everywhere. Well, oh yeah, what what you've picked up on is, is is absolutely the case. You know, so you think you've got it pegged, but it's um, yeah, people are presenting different things I'm, I'm waiting i keep waiting to put my flag in what i think is going to happen and again every time it turns around I'm like oh pick the flag up you're not i'm not i don't know anything yet pick the flag up yeah it's intriguing the like i say the old carry stuff um different agendas uh you know they're they're up against wow I'm, I'm actually i've said this a few times i'm surprised nobody's ever thought of this before it's a bit like Alien, you know, on an oil rig and nobody can hear you scream. It's um, it's a great idea. It's a great setting. And uh, I, I spoke to your uh, co-star, Catherine Walker, and I, my comparison was The Shining. The uh, idea yeah. that you're, you know, you're caught somewhere. Very. And now, and now you have to, this, you have to, the people who are there have to solve this. That's right. Yeah. That's right. There's locked in. That's, that's, that's uh, the only way. So, yeah, I, I think it's a great premise, but it's more than just the setting. It's it's the characters and how each individual is um, playing this out. It's intriguing. It was intriguing for me um, <laughs> reading it because, jeez, uh, what was what was so interesting was that you had a good foundation from which to explore a character, and uh, in the course of the shoot, Pear's a great director. Um, you would get you would get the chance to. Uh, talk things through, work things out. So will you be playing a harmonica? <laughs> no, in this one. I should have introduced that at some point, yeah. <laughs> I need to get the guitar and juggling the plastic ducks in somewhere, show off all these skills. No, there was um, there was a uh, space to, to, to bring ideas. And, uh, and then there's just like, once you're working with the other actors and, and uh, getting direction from pair. And of course, the other thing I have to mention, um, Having seen a little during the filming of it and seen two episodes, is the cinematography is outstanding. Callie is, uh, wow, just, just, um, wow, <laughs> a treasure, you know. He's such a skilled, wonderful guy. I don't, I don't think that must be, uh, yeah, one, one of the best. I think you guys have quite the mix going on. You have quite the cast, yourself included. You have beautifully shot oh, story, yeah. and you have this dense plot that yeah. really is going. That really is a lot to work with as a as a viewer. There's a lot there for me, you know. Oh, absolutely! Yeah. It's um, it's like no wasted space in the nothing. story. No, no. I mean, from episode one, there's some questions posed. You're you know you're intrigued. You're wondering what's then. You know then it shifts a gear in episode two. Then it's just going to get better and better. I imagine once now you're all trapped, I would think that the, they're going to turn it up a notch in terms of the drama and the adrenaline. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it is, in every sense of the word, thrilling. And uh, I couldn't second guess it. I didn't know what the hell was going on. <laughs> nice. That must, be a pl that must be a surprise. I would I would guess that more often when you get scripts, like the beats feel familiar all yeah. the way through. Yeah, no, this is original. It's, but it's more than just clever you know what I mean, Brian? Sometimes yeah. you read stuff and it's very clever, I, but it's, you're thinking something's, something's not registered in here. Clever for the sake of cleverness. Yeah, yeah I, I know yeah. what you mean. Yeah. And it's, you, you kind of walk away thinking, yeah, that was really smart, but what the hell was in it, you know? 
what was the stuff, what was the substance, you know, what was the, and, uh, but this, this is different. I have to say, you, you're quite the actor because the man I see here is not Douglas at all. So I'm quite. Oh, hell, he's a hell of a guy. (laughs) (laughs) No, but often, often, you know, you see actors, even the great actors and it's okay, that's them. And other times there are actors where you'll be 15 minutes into the film and you go, oh, that's them because they're so hidden in their characters. And that's kind of the vibe I get from you, which from is my compliment to you. Oh, thanks I, very I, much. I, Frank. Thank in you. case you didn't understand, <laughs> that's where <laughs> I was going. Um, so Rig 45 is up and running. You guys have finished the whole series. Working on anything else? Um, not for sure. That's always a difficult one because of the precariousness of um, filmmaking. There, there, there is a project which I'd rather not say nope, because it may sink. Macbeth, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so yeah, I mean it's so difficult for anybody to get a film made. You wonder sometimes the finance just collapses and that doesn't happen. But yeah, hopefully not. But okay. I just kind of like to keep the campfire small and. Till it's till well, it's actually six in the morning and you're standing there. I can't imagine you're going to disappear. So I, we'll keep our eyes open for what comes next. If it was your choice, what would you like to do? What's the dream role? What's the dream project? Well, man, that's a big one. Uh, I mean, there are some plays I would definitely love to do. Um, there are some directors I would definitely love to to work with, and some actors to work alongside but um oh, yeah maybe i should plant a few wishing trees but you know I've, i'm quite they all happy. listen to this podcast i'm sure <laughs> <laughs> i'm a big fan of um roy anderson i love oh yeah okay yeah uh, he's uh, uh i watched uh, his work and i was just incredulous you know just incredible filmmaking um, human touch around that stuff. Yeah. I can see why you'd like that if you like the Ken Loch stuff. There's yeah. something going on somewhere. Yeah, there. really, really wonderful. Yeah. But oh, so much. I mean, there are yeah, so many great writers and directors and All see right. what happens. I'll let you go on one more question and a little, not so big, but hopefully interesting answer. You know, you're in this Rig 45, which is a Scandi noir drama. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the Scandies have really made a mark sort of in this area. Can we expect something to emerge from Scotland that uh, sort of with a, with a Scottish imprint of sort of a genre that they that you take over and maybe, you know maybe based wow. on the tradition of Welsh I don't know is there is there something is there anything emerging what's wow. the scene there You see that that's a really good question because um, it kind of looks like we're hanging on your coattails right now you know the Shetland which Yui Johansson the Icelandic actor who's in Rig Forty Five uh, Yui worked on Shetland. Um, and it's good, it's very good, but um, it's maybe, yeah, it's maybe closer to Scandinavian Nordic noir than something truly original. Um, but that's that's a great idea. I mean, th- I'm going to take that question I, back and I mean, pose it to a few people. <laughs> I, Daniel Blake, is that Scottish in your mind? No, no, no that was um, filmed in Newcastle. Okay, yeah, okay. Uh, uh, Ken Loach is working on another one right now in Newcastle as well, I think. But um, no, that's a very good question. You've actually got me thinking here. Something which which uh, Scotland could make its mark on. And yeah, I mean, you guys have really <laughs> you, you you lifted things. You know, you set the bar. You made some of the homegrown um, like crime dramas in Scotland look terribly staid, old fashioned. Um, but these things go in cycles. I mean, the, the, the scan. We'll move on to something else here in Scandinavia, and there'll be a room for that for someone else to pick up. But I, I would imagine, though, again, that there's so, since there's so many more places to go with mm-hmm. content. It's not just you know, I don't know. Twenty five years ago in Europe, it was your public broadcasters, and then some commercial channels emerged, and now we have all these streaming services. Yeah. So there has there has to be room for sort of these clusters of production to emerge. In my mind. Yeah, I would hope so, but I would also hope, in connection with your question, that it would be something original. You know, that it, it would be exploratory and um, or something that comes from the traditional Scottish heart. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really what it should be, rather than 
um, hanging on the coattails of uh, what others are doing. Well, then I'll be commissioning you to dust off the work you've done in history around the labor movement, because I think it's pretty t- pretty much high time to remind people, especially in my country, about the importance of that. Brian, that might be your you've, niche. You've got me thinking. You really have got me thinking. Uh, well, I won't keep you anymore, Gary. You've been doing the work all day. I'm looking forward to see how Rig 45 unfolds. I would recommend anyone listening to check it out on Via Play starting in June. Uh, the great Gary Lewis. Thanks very much. Thank you. Pleasure, man. Thanks. Wow, that was fun. What an interesting guy. I mean, beyond the acting, his interest in history, his interest in the workers' movement, and how sort of that background helped him click with Martin Scorsese and eventually land that role in Gangs in New York. Really interesting, well-rounded guy. Pleasure to meet him. Gary Lewis, once again, thanks, Gary, for taking the time. And thank you for taking the time to find us and listen in. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Uh, Once again, I'm Brian Laffin, and this has been an episode of Stream Close-Up. If you like what you're hearing, tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend. You know how that works. Uh, We'll be back very soon. Uh, We've got Gary's Rig 45 co-star Catherine Walker scheduled. So keep your eyes out for that and check out Rig 45, uh, premiering right now on Via Play. As always, we'd like to thank the good people at I Like Radio for giving us a home. You can find a bunch of great podcasts and radio there, so check them out at ilikeradio.se. And of course, we would not sound so good without the help of our producer and musical director, Jose Fernandez Alameda. Take us out, Jose. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.